Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, I sit down with Anar Volset and Tracy Osborne to talk through some bootstrapper news stories. I've received feedback from several listeners that they really enjoy these episodes. And oftentimes, things we bring up here, it's the first time that they've heard about them, you know, that they weren't paying attention to Twitter or Hacker News or wherever we might have heard about these. So hopefully, these are not only educational, but also entertain you and hopefully help drive your business forward. Today we talk about the part-time contractor versus hiring full-time debate. We talk about the acquisition of Sand Hills Development, which is one of the largest independent WordPress product companies. We talk about the launch of Tiny Seed Europe, and we talk about a few other news stories. So hope you enjoy these. If you recall, Anar Volset is my co-founder and general partner at Tiny Seed. He's been on the podcast many times. He knows enterprise sales, cold outbound outreach. He knows a ton about SaaS M&A. And then Tracy Osborne is our program director at Tiny Seed. And she is a former startup founder who has written several books on design and development. And now she keeps the trains running on time uh, internally with Tiny Seed. So hope you enjoy today's conversation. Tracy Osborne, welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us. Yeah, happy to be back. Hey, our set, you as well? Thanks for having me. All right. I'm excited to dip into some bootstrapper news, as we like to call it. First story is there has been discussion. I've seen most of it on Twitter, although we have one Hacker News link as well. Or maybe it is, oh, it's a tweet that links out to Hacker News. So yes, it's all on Twitter. A founder friend of mine back in, I think it was April of this year, had pointed me to a tweet by Josh Pigford that talked about him being curious with his new effort, maybe about hiring everyone as part-time contractors, meaning no W-2 and no full-time. And I believe Sahil from Gumroad has structured Gumroad maybe like this. And there were, again, we'll link these tweets up, but in essence, Josh said in his second tweet, he was linking to Sahil's blog post that says, we have an anti-overtime rate that once you work past 20 hours a week as a contractor, people can continue to work, but it's a reduced hourly rate. So it really does discourage full-time work. And then the next one is Josh talking about how to give equity to part-time contractors based on how much they work and I think how much they get paid. And these were all in April and July. And I remember talking with my friend back in April of, I didn't think it was a good idea. Like I just having managed teams of part-time contractors and then having managed teams of full-time folks, there's a, there's a time and a place for both. And I think we've actually discussed that specific thing on this podcast. But then fast forward to September, it was just less than a month ago, Josh published something saying, we ended the experiment. We're no longer pursuing building maybe around part-time fractional employees. Here's the note I sent to the team last week. And while I'm still bullish on the concept, I no longer believe it can work for new product software companies. At least it didn't for us. And he wrote, wrote up kind of a memo about it. So I, I, you know, what I appreciate about, about Josh is he experiments with a lot of different things. And some of them, when I see him, I think that's not going to work. And others, I think he has a shot at making it work. But he usually circles back and tells us if it works. And I think that's helpful for the community. Tracy, what's, uh, what are your thoughts on this approach? And, you know, I realize I've kind of given my opinion already, but I'm curious if either of you think it's, you know, like a really good approach based on what we're going to be funding our 59th company or something here in the next couple of weeks. So you, you have a view into a lot of SaaS companies and tiny seed. 
Yeah, I looked at some of the thread that Josh did. Um, he kind of went into the reasons why it didn't work. And the thing that stood out to me is the thing I kind of expected to see, which is a part-time contractor is really great for one, like defined task, design set tasks that you're just like hitting session after session. And then, you know, once you finish that, you're done with your, your job for the day. But any kind of planning or long-term thoughts when you're hiring someone for your company that needs to, you know, not only just like hit the things they need to do that week, but they also need to start planning out how are things going to evolve in the next couple of years? What does that look like? What is that future planning? That's like almost impossible to do, I think, on a part-time cadence because it's just so set around tasks. And I think Josh also went into the fact that managing people who are part-time was hard to do because he had to like really define like that. I forget exactly how he phrased it, but they kind of had to define like that's one of the tasks they had to do was kind of think about that long term. And it was lots of micromanagement and it turned into a, like a big effort on his end in order to do that. You know, and it's it's the kind of thing where it's just like it's really good for defined tasks, but you can't expect without a lot of hand holding some of that long term planning. Yeah, I think of it, you know, I often talk about task level thinkers, project level thinkers and owner level thinkers. And I think of contractors, usually a lot of them are task level folks. And then you can find a few who maybe project level if you seek that and you pay, you know, for that. But I don't know of contractors, I haven't worked with contractors who are owner level thinkers, right? Who, like you said, are doing the long term vision. Einar, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'm I was always similarly quite suspicious that it wouldn't work. Because the main thing for me is that if everyone is just part-time and sort of task level, then all the state has to be in Josh's head by himself, which has got to be a lot of work. Like the downside to having employees is, you know, you know, there's plenty, like they have drama and family issues and, and all that stuff. But the upside is, particularly if you're full-time, is they spend their time thinking about and keeping, you know, state in their heads when you don't have to. Like you can delegate in a way that you just, you know, you, you can't do if they're just working 15, 20 hours a week for you. And it's very, very part-time. I, you know, it's one of those things, I think like Sahil and things like with uh, with Gumroad, like, you know, maybe that's more in sort of a maintenance mode, in which case it could work better. But I, I think I certainly think if you're, you know, more greenfield, it's going to be very hard. Trying to push things forward. Yeah. I think of the word ownership and I don't mean equity. I mean, like you're saying, mental ownership of a task I, where you think you go home, you think about it at night, you think about it while you're doing dishes of like, ah, oh, I can make this better. Because I was a contractor, I was a software developer, right? For eight years on and off. And I mean, as much as I cared about some of the jobs, it's a little bit like being a mercenary. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's like you get paid to ship product. And if I shipped code, that was fine. But anything beyond that, there was little motivation, I think, to leave it better, you know, than when I arrived. I do think, I think of these black box tasks, like I have videos that I need edited, or I have maybe like a, a particular integration that I need built. And these are all, these are things that are pretty easy to spec out and define them very well. I think those, that's where we use part-time contractors, right? It's like, I know exactly what I need, but it's when we get into building new products and like, the creative thinking and and needing to, I think I can imagine trying to manage five full-time employees who are doing things versus what do you need, 10, 15 contractors to do it? I mean, that just feels like a mess without middle, then you need middle managers by the time you're a 15 person company in my head. Yeah. And are they going to be part-time middle managers? That <laughs> starts to become really complicated. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I also wanted to say, it's kind of like 
I wish it would work out because it's kind of like the dream, right? You know, work for a company for four hours a day and, you know, not necessarily work at another company, but, you know, maybe you can support yourself and then you have the rest of your day to pursue your own personal projects or do other things. And so I want to, you know, I don't want to say like, oh, you can only have employees who are only are thinking 24 hours about your company because <laughs> that's, you know, not what you want. You want to have someone to be able to have that in, that in space, but part-time makes it really hard to have that, like you said, that creative thought process. I also question like, how part-time do people really want to go? You, you know, like, I, I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, I'd love to have a three-day weekend, but really, do people really just want a five-day weekend? I, you know, and then, you know, or, or will they actually end up doing like the, the people who want that are people who have their own project and are actually like working much more than, than full-time. I, I can't imagine not working five days a week. I would just be lost. I would just, you know, <laughs> wander around. I would, I would have to come up with work-like projects in order to keep my mind, you know, screwed on straight. I would think that these folks would have other clients is the idea. So I think we've, I mean, we've kind of generally said there's a, it seems like we agree that we're not generally bullish on this approach, but there might be a time and a place like for black box tasks and stuff like that. But what's the positive spin on this? Like, when I guess when will this work or what's what's cool about this if it works? And I think one thing that came to mind is you, I think, could have interchangeability. I think that's one of the ideas here is not to have any like linchpin person that if they leave, they leave everything on the table. But again, every even as I think of these positives, I think, yeah, but then... That's a negative though. It really is, right? <laughs> In itself, it really is a negative. If you're like, yeah, this guy, whatever, just put him in front of the computer screen and he'll type up more code. Imagine I'm my like, code base. Nah. Mess. Yeah, the code right? base going to be a mess. And it's like, then who's thinking about the state at all? You know, it's that doesn't sound fun. No, that sounds terrible, actually. Yeah. So I have, I have a tough time aside from being like, you know, if I was a 23 year old software developer and just wanting to work on project here and there, like it'd be great for me. Or back when I was, this is more maybe 12 years ago where I did have just a team. I had like 10 different contractors who all did little things that were all super task-based. It was like VAs and there was a designer and there were a couple developers. It was fun. It was, I, it was total lifestyle business. Like that's the place where I think this works. But I think the moment you become ambitious and you're like, you're more ambitious and you're like, I want to, I do want to build bootstrap that seven, eight figure business. I really don't see this working from, you know, from the start. I think if you make it work, you will be the exception rather than proving it out. All right. Story number two is that Awesome Motive has acquired Sandhills Developments products and services. So if you haven't heard of these companies, you've probably heard of the WordPress plugins that they manage. So Sandhills used to own and, and sold Affiliate WP, Easy Digital Downloads, Sugar Calendar, WP Simple Pay, and the Payouts service. And Awesome Motive is, was started by Syed Balki, and he started WP Beginner, which was a really popular, I mean, it's still a really popular WordPress uh, learning site, then started Optin Monster back in, she said it was probably 2013, I believe, WP Forms, Monster Insights, he acquired several others, and now he buys sometimes fractional ownership, like he'll buy a certain percentage of a company and sometimes he does entire acquisitions. So this is another and effectively a string of WordPress consolidation that is happening. There aren't that many seven and eight figure WordPress product companies left that have not been gobbled up by WP Engine, Liquid Web, GoDaddy, Awesome Motive is doing a lot of consolidation. And I I don't know. I'll weigh in on whether that's my opinion of whether that's good or bad. But I think kicking it to Anar first, like, what is your take on this? Do you feel like this is an inevitability given any space that, you know, that operates for this long? 
Yeah, I think it's almost inevitable. I, I feel like WordPress had this, and still and still kind of does, had this like hacker like side project, like build a little thing, make enough money to like truly lifestyle business it. And while at the same time there wasn't, or at least until recently, there wasn't a lot of push from the sort of roll-up, you know, the financial roll-up people. You know, they usually stayed away from from WordPress for whatever reason. They, they might do roll-ups. It's, for a while it seemed more sort of common to do roll-ups in the Shopify space on that platform than, than going after WordPress, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me just because WordPress is open source, so you don't have quite the same platform risk. But certainly, like, I see that some on, on sort of the M&A side, that it, it's still early days in the WordPress space. You know, the, the price expectations of the buyers and the sellers is quite different to the more open, sort of more generic SaaS, you know, software as a service, software buyout space, I would say. And so I think it's sort of a natural conclusion of this. People are like, oh, this could work here too. <laughs> no problem. And prices are low, so why not? Like the, the roller play should work in WordPress as, as well, if not better than in Shopify. Because it's, you know, WordPress is what, 30, 25%, 30% of all the websites. So it's a big market. So my thoughts on, I was trying to think about whether I think this is good or bad for a space, because whether it's inevitable or not is one question, but like, is this better? I think having more things, you know, there's there's the power of scale, like Awesome Motive knows what they're doing with WordPress, and I think they don't have a monopoly position in anything, right? I don't think they own all the big plugins in any one space. I could be wrong, but I think they still have competition from the WooCommerces and, and from Delicious Brains. And there's a few, there's a few others that are doing it. Again, there's not that many, but they. It's nice that I, I don't think there's been that kind of consolidation. So I don't know. I'm curious what the word. I'm sure the WordPress. They're they're always so opinionated about this stuff, you know. I'm sure there's some some hefty opinions, but I don't think it will negatively impact like as a user. You know, I still use WordPress with my robwalling.com site. I struggle to see how it will impact that. I guess the ecosystem of consultants, you know, and agencies maybe impacted by this, but I, I feel like if Awesome Motive is, and whoever's doing the consolidation, the WP engines, the liquid webs back to them, if they're doing a good, a good job being stewards of these products and these plugins, then it'll be good. And if they're doing a job and they're rolling up just to roll up and increase valuations, then I think it'll be bad. Maybe that's my, my ultimate conclusion, it, is it depends on how good of a steward they are of the products. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually think WordPress in general is sort of an odd space. I think it may be because of automatic, like it's kind of a unusual company in itself like being an open source company it's not like shopify or any of these companies so so that might be just contributing to the nature of that that whole space tracy you have any closing thoughts before we move on to our next topic nope i think anar said it all our next story i'm i bet you two had to do a lot of reading about this i just send you a lot of background <laughs> so you understand it tiny seed announced tiny seed europe what, a week or two ago? It was two, well, we announced it at our European event. So it was two weeks ago. We are raising a fund in Europe to fund European startups and to essentially extend, kind of replicate what we've done here, you know, in the Americas with our Americas fund. Einar, what was the impetus for this? Why are we moving into Europe? So there's, there's some good reasons and there's some bad reasons. <laughs> I'll start off with the, with the sort of the good reasons. Good reasons are like we have... Amazing deal flow there. Certainly, we're seeing this sort of bootstrap SaaS, independent SaaS community, you know, grow. You know, not not just in Europe, but partly in Middle East and, and Africa too. And we want to invest in in more of those companies. And uh, to be honest with you, the sort of requirement to become a U.S. entity, I think, became a, a burden for some of these early stage firms. And and 
being able to have a dedicated fund that can invest directly into these European into these European opportunities, I think uh, certainly was was interesting. Our investors too are like, you know, there's no real reason why you know a B two B SaaS company, whether it's based in France or South Africa or or New Mexico, like what's the difference? Most of them they sell internationally. They have international customers, and you know they operate in English, and it's it's it really it's a it's a global market for most of these things. So so those are good reasons. I mean, originally the plan was to raise our, our previous fund to raise a, a large fund, and this is where the sort of bad reasons come in. It has to do with, you know, basically SEC regulations on how many investors we could take. And it meant that, you know, we were forced to take higher and higher minimums. So splitting the funds up to have like our, our US fund or our America's fund be mostly, you know, US companies. And then, then this Europe fund be mostly European companies started to make sense. And then also like just from the boring, you know, investor perspective, they... Some some people lived in Europe and wanted exposure only to U.S. companies and vice versa. So 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 it made a lot of sense, I think. But I th- I think you know there's been a lot of interest. Certainly, the European startup environment is it's interesting. It's it's sort of where the U.S. was like three four, four years ago. So there's now a lot more like you know of the more traditional venture startup stuff. But I think only now people are starting to think like oh you can get funding for these kinds of like indie SaaS businesses that don't necessarily aren't, you know, trying to be on the unicorn route. Yeah. And just to clarify, I should have said this earlier, but Tiny Seed Europe will invest in European time zone. So that goes down through Africa and the Middle East and and all that. Tracy, what's, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Having been, you know, been on the inside thoughts on hiring, hiring a replacement of sorts or a, a replica of yourself, right? And we're hiring, Minion. Yes, oh, yeah. hiring a program manager out in, out in Europe. Well, yeah, at first I wanted to, you know, Anar went over some of the, uh, I guess, administrative aspects of the program. Um, One of the big, like, program benefits to having a dedicated European batch is that we have funded folks who are located in the European time zones, that area through the the Americas Fund. But because us as a team, we're all U.S., North America based, it meant like our calls, we tried to, we move their calls around to make it work for everybody. But I mean, if anyone who's in Europe or say Middle East or anything like that, we're attending calls that are like super late at night. And they've all been very enthusiastic about it. We have something we set up front being like, you know, hey, by the way, we are happy to offend you. But because, you know, we have to schedule the calls for our own time zone, people opted into that. But that means that for the European one, the European fund, the European accelerator, is that, the, you know, as you said, with the time zone, the calls and everything will be scheduled you know, in a more reasonable time zone for anyone who is in that um, accelerator program, which makes me very, very excited. It also goes for like our in-person events, which we are, we are just restarting now. We would have our in-person retreats generally in North America, unless we attached it to uh, MicroConf Europe. So it meant for the last one we did in Portland this last September, we didn't get to have a lot of European founders come over because of the expense of and time and everything to fly all the way over to Portland. So that also means that all of our in-person retreats will be, you know, in a more reasonable location for all these founders and make it easier for them to attend these events. So I'm very excited about that aspect of the program. I'm very excited that we can have a dedicated everything set up. So it's European folks, European, UK, Middle East, make everything just a lot easier for them. Yeah, I think that's very exciting that we can do that finally. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Obviously, if you want to learn more, if you're a you know bootstrap to most of the bootstrap founder, tinyc.com to get on that list because it'll be it's not it's not going to be very long before we're going to open applications early next year. Yeah, it'll probably be in January. 
I'm confident in saying that. All right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and program manager wise, tinyc.com slash careers. Uh, if you might want to come work with the three of us. Yeah. I mean, I just, I have to jump in here because I'm very excited about that position as well. I came into the program manager position for Tiny Seed as a former entrepreneur. I had just shut down my startup, Wedding Lovely, which was quite sad. You can hear about it on this podcast. But I was in a place where I was looking, I love the startup fields, looking for something that was still in like the entrepreneurial area, but I wasn't quite ready to start a new project. And so Tiny Seed was a really great place for me to land. I was able to use everything I learned as a startup founder and use that to help out the founders that are in the program. And this program manager position, you know, is not just for like executive assistants or anything like that. You know, it's really, I think, great for anyone who might be in like a, a place in their life where they've done startups and they're looking for something new, but maybe they don't want to like jump into doing a whole new thing on their own. They want to be part of a team. So just want to say that anyone who happens to be in that place, I think this would be a good fit. And I would be remiss as we move on to our next story, if I did not say tinyc.com slash invest if you're interested in investing in early stage B2B SaaS companies located in European time zones. Yeah, Inar was giving you eyes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Our next story is a tweet from DuckDuckGo from October 11th. This is what, maybe two weeks ago. I'm going to read their tweets. So these are their words. Google complies with invasive, quote unquote, keyword warrants that identify anyone who searched for a term. Twitter user I blame Tom reports, and then he links to uh, a Forbes.com article. DuckDuckGo doesn't have any search histories by design, and because of that, has had zero search warrants of any kind since our founding in 2008. And this tweet has almost 15,000 likes, 308 quote tweets, and 4,800 retweets. I think this fits into the privacy is becoming, has already become a thing and is becoming an even more important thing that I think I I felt like it got kicked off with Snowden, the Snowden revelation, right? That we're all being monitored in the US. Tracy, you have often on this podcast, especially in the Bootstrapper News episodes, talked about the privacy elements of like email inboxes, blocking, tracking pixels, right? So they can't see you open and you opening them. And I think you had said that you thought it was going to become a more prominent thing that that kind of tech would move in this direction. So talk to me about your thoughts on on this whole idea. Yeah, I I am only hesitating here because that's normally my, my way forward. But then I was reading something about the Google search warrants where, and this is because could be hearsay, but it was something like, you know, search warrants for someone who is searching for a person's name, person's address, person's phone number, like all three of those things would come up with the fact that that person was doxing or stalking or something for the other person. So it allowed authorities to, you know, basically it was like, like it's hard because there was good reasons to have these kind of like privacy violations or like this, like four warrants that go out for some certain reasons where there was a bad actor who was doing something bad and they search and were able to use that information to like find and stop that person from potentially causing any sort of harm. So when I read those things, it's just like, ah, you know, that's such a good reason. But, you know, it's always that like slippery slope, right? Where it's, it could be used for a lot of good reasons, but there's a lot of bad reasons where like warrants can, can go out for, you know, some dirty cop or whatever uses a warrant to go out and, and pull information on someone, looks at someone's search history, those kind of things. It's just, I don't know. I don't have a good response to this other than this like general, like, ah, you know, I wish that the world was a, 
you know, a place where we could use this information for good. But if you, why Snowden came out with all of this stuff, oftentimes the information is used for, for bad. And DuckDuckGo having this, having no search warrants because they don't track that history, there's also good and bad there, you know, for the average person who doesn't want to have any of their random stuff being used for bad by bad actors, then DuckDuckGo is great. But there are, there was a, a response to this tweet was just like, hey, DuckDuckGo, aren't you saying, hey, sexual predators, use our program, use our browser for your, for your thing, you know, it's going to be using you for a warrant. So it's that interesting balance. Yeah, it's always that balance between like national security or state security or security of, of each of us and privacy. And those two things are tend to be, you know, in op- opposition. I will say, Anar, before I, I roll over to you, DuckDuckGo has been giving a masterclass in how to use your 900-pound gorilla competitor, use their number one thing against them. Every billboard. I was literally in airports for microconfs. I would see DuckDuckGo billboards that were basically saying, like, we don't track you and Google does, that kind of stuff. So they, and they've been... They've stuck to that positioning for 13 years. I think he said they launched in 2008. It's 2021. Like that is unusual for a startup to come up with effectively a positioning of like, hey, we're going to be privacy focused and that's it. And that's their number one bell that they ring and they are growing. Like they, you know, they have have more adoption uh, every month that goes by. And I use it, I should say, for all of my screaming into the the void, it is my primary browser. Right. So I think my question to you, Anar, is, it's not only how far do we think that this kind of move towards privacy will continue, but will normal people ever care? Like, will will my mom and dad just ever care about that? Or are they just going to keep going? And, you know, the mass of the 80, 90% of the world, will they care about this? Or do you think this is just going to be, continue to be at the edges, I'll say, with those folks like developers and, you know, more tech savvy people? I think it'll be at the edges. That's that's sort of what I think. I mean, the, the way that I, feel, <laughs> I, I guess I feel in general, I feel less worried about you know Google warrants. I, I feel like if there's an actual warrant and a process, then I have enough faith in the in the justice system that it's not going to get abused willy nilly. So almost my view is like, I'm going to use DuckDuckGo, but I would prefer if the rest of you use Google, so that if there was any warrants that needed to be issued to you guys, then uh, you know that that would be fine. <laughs> So, so that's my view. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite so, so privacy obsessed. I think, I, you know, I think the NSA doesn't need to get warrants to figure out what they need to do. Basically, <laughs> sort of my view on it. But in general, yeah, I think it's more, I think it's more edge cases. But it's a big market, so okay, maybe ten percent of people care, but that's ten percent of all the people in the world, which is that's a good chunk of change, chunk of change for DuckDuckGo for sure. So that's going to wrap us up today. Tracy Osborne, folks can find you at Tracy Makes on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, I know that you almost said Tracy Makes first. I did. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> I often call you Tracy Makes as yep. your name. Like I call Pat, I, I struggle to call Patrick McKenzie. Patrick McKenzie, I always say Patio 11, what's up? Like that just becomes the name, you know? Yep. So yeah, I'm at TracyOsborne.com, but it's Tracy Makes on Twitter because I could not get it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this. Anar Volset, you are at Anar Bolset. People are just going to have to go to the show notes because I'm not going to spell that one. Where you rant about what? San Francisco Giants. Yes, pretty much. They're out now, so that's okay. So, But it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm over it. Your Twitter has re- returned to some semblance of normalcy or is it still? I'm, I'm over it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. And thank you for joining me once again this week. Whether you've been listening for a month, a year, or a decade, it's always great to have you on board. 
and I'll be back in your ears again next Tuesday morning.